If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you know, on average, heating your home makes up 82% of your energy bill? Installing a smart thermostat could save you a lot of money and be good for the planet. Honeywell Home have been making the home smarter and more comfortable for over a hundred years and their trusted smart thermostats help you get control wherever you are. And because they work with Google and Alexa, you can simply change the heating with your voice. Installing a smart thermostat doesn't have to be confusing or time-consuming, so why not visit getconnected.honeywellhome.com to find out more. Hello and welcome to the brand new Pocketlint podcast sponsored by Honeywell Home from Residio, making the smart home simpler. My name is Stuart Miles and each week the team and I are going to be looking at the biggest stories in tech, interviewing some really interesting people and walking you through the big decisions you should factor in when buying the latest gadgets. Coming out this week, we talk all things OnePlus with Pocketlink contributing editor Cam Bunton to find out what really happened at the company's OnePlus 7 launch earlier in this week. Pocketlink contributor David Phelan interviews Julian Stanford, the man responsible for Dolby Cinema in Europe, and Rick and I talk to Cam about what the best wireless earphones on the market are. Should you go AirPods, or are there a better alternative? Cam, you've just come from the OnePlus event. I have. What was it? Was it any good? Are you excited? I am excited. I think it's the first year OnePlus has launched like a true proper flagship in a sense. There's not any compromise really anywhere on the phone. So it's got a massive 6.7 inch screen on the front that's got quad HD resolution. It also has 90 hertz refresh rate, which basically means it's really smooth and really fast. So any animations on the screen are really fluid and quick, quicker than pretty much any phone I've seen before. Uh, also means people who like gaming, highly intense graphics games, they can load them, they're smooth, they don't stutter or lag in any way at all. Um, and also they've put a triple camera on the back which has three different focal lengths. So you've got your ultra-wide, your regular, and your three times optical zoom. So you've got those three distinct And how does that lengths. how does that differ from, say, other smartphone cameras like Samsung or Huawei? Well, it's pretty much the same it's similar I mean your Samsung phones have got a similar setup but they have like a two times zoom instead or a five times zoom instead of the three so it's only really the details that are different it's the way they've done it um, but yeah it's pretty much the same I mean Huawei's is probably still the best out there but OnePlus is definitely catching up now which is really awesome to see now that all sounds amazing but it also yeah. sounds expensive is it going to be expensive or is there a cheaper option that I can get it is more expensive than previous OnePlus phones, but still a lot cheaper than the comparison Huawei phone, for instance. It's about two, three hundred pounds cheaper than the P30 Pro from Huawei. But for those who don't want to spend the 650 quid on the 7 Pro, uh, there is going to be a regular 7, which is about 500 pounds. Um, and that's pretty much the same as the OnePlus 6T that launched last year. But what they've done with that one is they've upgraded all the internals to give it the similar performance to the 7 Pro, they just haven't got the Quad HD screen on the front, they don't have the triple camera system on the back, it's just a, the old style dual camera system. And do you think that 
there will be a polarisation between people just saying, I, I just want everything, I'm going to go for the Pro, or do you think, like we saw with the Google Pixel 3a, for example, do you think there is a need to have that sort of lower-end, more affordable device? I think there is, I mean, particularly from OnePlus, because I think they've built up a quite a big following and a very loyal community based on the fact that they offer really powerful phones but are much, much cheaper than the competition. So with the 7 Pro going closer to that expensive territory, it's that I think they had to have something that was still attainable for the average OnePlus user. And so that's their kind of like, look, you can still afford us. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but if you can't, then, you know, we've got this amazing device that's, that's flagship style, but yeah, exactly. it doesn't sound like flagship pricing. No, exactly. And that's the thing is that there's, there's always the shock when OnePlus increases the prices, but then when you compare it to similar products from Samsung or Huawei or even Google, it's still considerably cheaper than all of them and just as good, if not better in some instances, with some features. And how do you think they're do able to do that? Is it just that they produce good quality, cheap, effectively cheap products, or is it that they're trying to undercut everybody to be able to get market share, or is everybody else just charging more, more money than they should? I mean, it initially started off because they were a small company and they only sold direct to the fans from direct from their site, but then they've slowly become this proper phone maker who sells through carriers and retail stores, so my honest answer is I don't really know how, how they do it because they use a lot of the same technology. Um, in some cases, I think this is one of the first screens on a, a proper major flagship phone that has no notch and there's not even a punch hole cut out for the camera. It's completely all screen on the front. And so where is the front screen camera? Or isn't the camera one? pops up from the top edge. Ah, like so a little pop-up. Pop yeah, little pop-up. So when you hit the selfie, it just kind of pops up in about half a second, pops back down again when you're done, and that's it. This week we saw the announcement that Vodafone is launching their 5G network from the 3rd of July in the UK. Did OnePlus have anything to say about 5G? Yeah, they've been talking about it probably since January at CES in Las Vegas. They said they were going to be one of the first to launch a 5G phones and they, and they will launch a OnePlus 7 Pro as a 5G model as well. There's no difference in style or design, no performance difference except that it also has 5G. And that for them internally meant building quite a complicated circuit system, I guess, and new heating methods and cooling methods and stuff. Um, but yeah, they will be there. They'll be among the first, and I think there'll be also other manufacturers on board as well. We've already seen the Oppo Reno 5G that's coming to EE. There's the Huawei, the foldable Huawei Mate X, that's 5G. Um, Samsung Galaxy S10 5G. So there's gonna be a handful of phones available when Vodafone launches their 5G network. And um, they'll be there with them. Now, one of the things that we always see from OnePlus is that beyond the phones, they're always keen to show that they're getting into other areas. Right. And there was rumors of a TV at one point. I don't know whether that's, that's happening. Nothing's but been said officially about a TV yet. Is, was there any other devices apart from phones at the, um, at the event? They upgraded their wireless earphones. The Bullets wireless version 2 has been announced and they'll be coming in the next couple of months as well. They're essentially the same as last year's model, but they've got better audio a new design in the earbud casing is all made out of stainless steel. So a little bit more premium again from them in the earphone market as well. It seems to be a trend of, we've had the first wave of, of uh, 
in-ear wireless headphones, you know, Apple AirPods, for example, yes. the Samsung Buds, which I know you played with as well. Yeah. How do these fare? Have you tried them yet? I've How do you tried think them briefly. Fare? They're okay. They're not completely wire-free, so they have a neck band around the neck, which means cheaper technology, which, again, they haven't told us the price, so I don't know the price yet. Um, but last year's model was under £100. So, again, it was about giving you good, solid wireless performance, but at a good price as well. And we reviewed them quite well last year, I think. So the second ones, hopefully, will be just as good. Still to come, we check out the best wireless earphones on the market. There are tons of them. I guess the AirPods are the ones you see everybody wearing on the tube. Or when you're traveling anywhere, everybody seems to be wearing them. But yeah, you've got all the big name audio companies do wire-free versions of some kind. So Sony, Bose, Sennheiser, Master & Dynamics, Samsung do them. Pretty much anyone who makes in-ear headphones makes a wire-free version now. This week, PocketLink contributor David Phelan went to a small but perfectly formed state-of-the-art screening room at Dolby's HQ office in the heart of London, Soho. He was interviewing Julian Sanford, the company's senior director of business development for Dolby Cinema for Europe, East Africa and CIS. He's had a busy 12 months. Odeon Lux in Leicester Square is the company's first true Dolby cinema and features over 400 Dolby Atmos speakers and over 10 miles of cabling in the vast two-tier auditorium. The cinema that opened to the public in December has since been joined by a further one in Leeds with plans from the company to open more across the UK in the near future. But how does this affect us? Will the cinema ever become redundant? And how and when will we get more of the lovely tech in our homes? I'm sitting here in Dolby's screening room in central London in Soho with Julian Stamford. And I've seen some movies here. They're pretty awesome. They will sound and look tremendous. And it's a, it's a beautiful uh, cinema. What were your goals in setting up this screening room? What were your aspirations? So this screening room represents an example of what we do commercially. So this is a small screening room that is available for people to hire and to use. But the characteristics that pertain to this particular screen are also exemplified in the commercial Dolby cinemas. And what we did was, Dolby, as you know, is a company that has been famous for sound over the years. We've been you know, right back to 78. We've been doing um, feature film sound with with all our um, fantastic equipment. But what we wanted to do was set out to create the optimal environment, not just for sound, but for vision and for the physical environment for experiencing uh, a film. And what happened was our scientists and engineers in California spoke to the creative community in Hollywood and asked them what they wanted. And they came out back with some key characteristics that were then incorporated into the offering and the offering itself really can be defined in 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 th based on three pillars if you like the first pillar is sound which is as i say is, is dolby's heritage although we now have as many engineers working in vision as we do in sound mm. shows you how far the company has has progressed so the vision sorry the sound um component is dolby atmos but a studio grade of Dolby Atmos. Dolby Atmos is a sound system at which in the cinema context places the sound in the auditorium with up to 128 different sound artifacts effectively in 3D space. So it allows the director to move a, a sound effect from the front of the screen right over your head to behind you to around you. 
So it places you as the as the viewer in the middle of the scene. So if it's something like a concert scene from Bohemian Rhapsody, or if it's an action scene sequence, they can put you right in the middle of the action through this through this sound. And the Dolby Cinema version has a studio grade version of Dolby Atmos, which is available to cinemas generally. The second um, pillar of the of the proposition is Dolby Vision, and Dolby Vision is a way of retaining more of the digital file that was created by the filmmaker. What this means is that when you come to see it on the screen, you're going to have a higher dynamic range, you're going to have much brighter picture. So a standard cinema picture DCI is 17 foot lamberts of brightness. Foot lamberts is the measure they use. 17 foot lamberts. A Dolby Cinema uh, has 31 foot lamberts. So it's it's twice as bright. And what that means is that the image that bounces off the screen at you is that much more vibrant, that much more clear. And overall, what we're trying to do is create the most lifelike vision for you um, to interpret the, the, the filmmakers, uh, the story that they're telling visually in front of you. So it's much brighter. The color gamut is much wider. It's 2020 rec in terms of the color scale, which basically means we're putting up on the screen what your eye can, what your eye can perceive. And it is a much higher contrast ratio. So the difference between the blackest blacks and the whitest whites are fantastically stronger on a Dolby Cinema than they are on a conventional cinema standard, DCI standard. So a DCI standard has a contrast ratio. That's the difference between the blackest bits and the brightest bits of 2,000 to 1. We have a contrast ratio of over a million to 1. Okay. And what this means is, from a filmmaker's point of view, one of the... The gripes about filmmakers about move from digital um, from standard 35 mil was that you lost some of the depth of the blacks and you lost the contrast that allowed you to see the details in those dark spaces. And that's what you get with, with Dolby Cinema. The Dolby Vision, as we call it, gives you, the, the filmmaker, the opportunity to present to the customer the experience that you are trying to convey. And all of our technology is based on getting you, the customer, as close as possible to the filmmaker's vision. The third component is the physical interior of the auditorium. And you'll see from this auditorium here that everything is matte black. Mm. We try and eliminate all reflections, all color, that the, all um, light that can get in the way of your optimum enjoyment of the experience that the filmmaker's presenting. So in a commercial cinema, even the speakers are covered with a acoustically transparent gauze so that your mind doesn't know where the sound is coming from. And if you can't see the speakers, we know that psychologically it has a greater impact on you because you just experience the sound. You experience as an effect. And when you're going from a small, smallish room like this to something as big as the Odeon Lux Leicester Square, what are the main challenges in scale, in changing the scale? There are um, two principal challenges. One is to do with the sound. So, for example, if you are if you are filling this small auditorium with sound, you can have a fairly standard configuration of speakers. And we have speakers behind the screen on both walls, the wall behind you and within the ceiling. And that can be a fairly standard configuration. If you are dealing with something like Odeon Lux Leicester Square, you have to fill 
um, we had 398 speakers, I think, in that. In that, um, Normally we would have up to 64. But in that auditorium, we had 398 because you have to create the perfect sound environment for every chair under the balcony, over the balcony, and in the stalls at the front. So you have different areas within that auditorium that require different sound configurations to make sure that every single seat is the optimum we can make it from a, from a sound experience point of view. The second thing is that, that a place like Odeon Luxor Square, the distances are just huge. It's right. a very long way away from the far back to the screen. It's a remarkable cinema, but in, in most cases, a modern cinema would have a much steeper rake so that if you're sitting at the back of the screen, you are you are not as far away as you would be from the screen, sitting at the back of the seating deck, you're not as far away from the screen as you would be if you had an um, a conventional um, seating deck that has a shallower rake to it. So you try and tilt it so everybody has better sight lines and everybody sits closer to the screen. But we have um, you know, certain rules that we like to obey. We like to have the seats within the confines of the outside of the screen so that people have a minimum of head movement in order to join uh, to enjoy the screen. We like to have the rows curved so that you're sitting comfortably facing the centre of the screen and you're not sitting with a, with, a, with a crick in your neck. So there are a whole series of design criteria that we set about um, proposing for each individual building to make sure that the experience from every single chair is as good as it can be. Now, these are expensive uh, cinemas to build, um, but now, these days, Dolby Atmos and Dolby Vision, you can get them on TVs, TVs that are bigger now than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. So how far away do you think we are from building the perfect cinema or the optimal cinema in our own homes? Um, I think there is a, there's a two elements to that. I think there's, there's the element of technology and then there's the element of experience. So within technology, as you say, the the experience in home entertainment has, over the last 10 to 15 years, come forward enormously. It's almost unrecognisable. I, I was used to work in home entertainment and um, for one of the major studios, and the experience that I was offering then with the, with the advent of DVD was very different from what you now get from a full home cinema set with an LG OLED, you know, massive with soundbars and all the home cinema um, design. So the, the bar has been raised in the technical terms for the, for the home cinema offering. However, one thing that remains the same f for me is the difference between a home cinema experience and a, and a cinema experience and exhibition is the sense of community. Hmm. If I'm sitting at home and I'm watching let's say, um, A Star is Born, and it's a wonderful film, and I can have the best possible home cinema environment, and if I'm rich enough, I can have top of the range for every element from the speakers to the, to the projection system or the image system, all the rest of it. But what I don't get is the thrill that you get sitting in an audience with 250, 350 other people all enjoying the same thing at the same time, because... It's a bit like going to a live soccer match compared to watching it on television. It's a bit like being in a cathedral rather than kneeling beside your bed. You can do essentially the same activity, but in, in, in the case of the cinema, it is amplified 
by the fact that you are doing it with other people who are experiencing it at the same time. A horror film on your own is a slightly different experience from a horror film in a big in a big um, community. And watching Mamma Mia on your own is not nearly as good as having you know three hundred people around you all jigging and and in some cases singing along. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, Julian, when you go to the cinema, what is it that you look for first? A brilliant screen, fantastic audio, comfy seats, or uh, banana bread instead of popcorn? <laughs> How do you know I like banana bread? Um, <laughs> the, uh, the first thing I, well, first thing I look for is the film. I want to, I want to go to um, where, where I can see the film that I want to see. That said, I want to go to a cinema that I know is going to give me you know, a really great experience. Unfortunately, I live in the middle of the country, so it's a long way to go to the nearest, to the nearest really good cinema. But I think what's happening within the UK cinema industry is that all the best exhibition circuits are upping their game. So they are realising that what you were describing earlier um, in terms of the increase in quality of the home entertainment experience makes it imperative that they improve the offering that they are presenting to the cinema goer. So if we take, for example, the last um, cinema that I went to was the Leeds um, Thorpe Park, Odeon Leeds Thorpe Park. They opened um, a cinema there with recliners throughout. The Dolby Cinema in there offering the, the ultimate cinema experience. If I think about every man who is offering, you know, a slightly different offering, in, particularly also in a, in a whole food and beverage um, environment. They're, they're targeting people who want a certain type of cinema experience, possibly not the conventional multiplex experience. And what in both cases those exhibition circuits are doing is upping their game. They're raising the offering to make sure that what is still a very cost-effective evening's entertainment in the cinema carries on being as good as we can possibly make it and carries on enticing people out of their homes, away from their 54-inch OLED television, to come and join others like-minded people to experience the movie in a cinema. And I don't think that'll ever really change. Now, if you have noticed a plethora, a deluge of wireless earbuds on commuters as you're travelling to work or just going about your business, that's because they are the big new thing at the moment. We're almost so new and so big that we're seeing second iterations of these. Today with me is Cam Bunton, contributing editor of Pocket Lint. Hello. To talk to us about this. And also joined with us on this glorious sunny day is Rick Henderson, editor of, senior editor of News and Features and yeah, you got it between. right. I got it right this time. <laughs> That's a really Fantastic. fancy title. I don't have one of those. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Right, uh, Cam. Yes. Talk us through. I'm thinking about getting some wireless earbuds. Right. What are they? Do I need to get them? Start us off. So wireless earbuds, over the last couple of years, maybe two or three years, we've seen them move away from being ones that are attached by some kind of cable to being completely wire-free. And I guess the AirPods, the AirPods, sorry, they kind of kicked off the trend. They made it a popular thing. Um, so when you're looking at them, what you want to look at really, you've got sound quality, obviously, there's price, how much are you willing to spend on a pair of things to 
block out the noisy tube noises. They're very widely marketed. But there are a lot of these devices now, aren't there? There's there are a lot of rival, um, completely wire-free earbuds. There are tons of them. I guess the AirPods are the ones you see everybody wearing on the tube. Or when you're traveling anywhere, everybody seems to be wearing them. But yeah, you've got all the big-name audio companies do wire-free versions of some kind. So Sony, Bose, Sennheiser, Master & Dynamics, Samsung do them. Pretty much anyone who makes in-ear headphones makes a wire-free version now. And any noise cancelling at the moment? Um, I not. I think the Sony's had a form of active noise cancelling, but it was a very early generation, and so it wasn't actually that effective. Because you find with a lot of in-ears anyway, you have quite good passive noise cancelling from the earbuds being quite a nice seal inside your ear, so that tends to cancel out a lot of the noise anyway. What I worry about um, the individual um, true wireless earbuds, yeah. as they call them, is that uh, is battery power. Right. Now, a neckband obviously contains the battery on most of the devices that you can buy. Yeah. So what, what about battery power, say, on the AirPods or um, Samsung's version? Right, okay. So with a lot of them, uh, you find that the outside, they've got a charging case. So you put them in the case, it charges the battery inside the actual earbuds themselves. But you tend to find that a lot of them, like the AirPods, Samsung's will range between about three and five hours of playtime outside of the case. So that's more than your typical commute into work in the morning so if you I suppose when you're putting them back in a case it ultimately charges so you yeah think so it's, it's yeah. kind of longer than just the four you don't get just five yeah hours you know what i can't imagine anyone sitting there for four hours straight listening to music with their airpods in if you see what i mean unless you've got an extremely long commute in the morning um then it's generally okay okay so we've understood where the thing is you've got obviously different noises different wireless things all yeah. the other stuff you're going to spend some money on this yeah. What should you go and buy? Now, I understand that there's obviously if you're a runner or you're maybe a commuter, there's a different element. We'll come to that in a minute. Yeah, but of course. You're going to go and buy a pair, money, no object. What'd you get? At the moment, I would say, considering they've just launched, the Powerbeats Pro look very, very compelling. Um, they have comfortable fit. They have great sound. They've got that same convenience that you get from AirPods. If you're an iPhone user, they've got that H1 chip inside. But the most important thing about the Powerbeats Pro compared to the AirPods is that the sound quality is much better and also the battery life is phenomenal. They can go up to about nine hours outside of their case and they still have a further two charges inside their little carrying case. So that's like 24 hours of listening uh, from a pair of earphones that you can also take running because they've got that over-ear hook that fits them nicely to your ear. Um, they're basically the be-all and end-all. They, they do whatever you want, basically. They'll, they'll fit into your life. I there think lot, they're fantastic. There are a lot of cheaper ones on the market as well. Are there any, yeah. there any of a comparable nature? Because obviously audio quality and a price are normally hand, yeah. go hand in hand. Yeah, exactly. So the Powerbeats Pro are about £220. Um, the Samsung Galaxy Buds are about £100 less. Um, pretty decent sound quality. They've got a wireless charging case. You can plonk them down in your wireless charging mat if you want to. And if you've got a Galaxy S10, you can put it on the back of the phone. Yeah, you? you can charge it off your phone if you've got one of the new Samsung phones. So yeah, they're pretty convenient and they're not massively expensive. They're even cheaper than AirPods actually. What if you lose them though? That's my <laughs> biggest worry about all true wireless earphones is what? losing one. Have you got any? 
Have you lost no, I've you? I've actually got the uh, the Beats X with an egg neck band. Okay, so you can't so, lose them. So I I can't lose them. They kind of dangle around my neck when I'm not using them. So obviously I've tested pretty much all the ones that are out there, and I've never lost one because what you find you tend to do. I'm going to lose them. Tempted fate now. So what you find is that when you take them out, you you just put them back in the case and put them in your pocket. It's not. And if it falls out, you know it's fallen out because it's not there anymore and you can look for it and find it. But I've not had any yet that have fallen out my ears or got lost so far. And so probably final say on this, sort of comment, AirPods, what's your verdict? What do you feel? Is, is there a reason that they're so successful? I mean, for me personally, I use them and it's that, just that, inc- that, it's convenience. that convenience of being able it's, to put them in, take them out, put them in, take them out. It's fully about the convenience with the AirPods. They come in a really nice tiny case. You can just put them in your ear. They pair with your iPhone really quickly. Um, I think that's why they've been so popular is the convenience. And obviously so many people use iPhones. It just seems like the the one to choose. Well, that's it for this week's show. New episodes of the Pocketlink podcast will arrive every Friday with more news, interviews and buying guides for you to enjoy. We'd also love to hear your feedback to help us make the show even better. And if you have enjoyed it, please let your friends and colleagues know so they can enjoy it too. Until next Friday, pip pip. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.